On December 6th, Mayor Michelle Wu named her COVID-19 Advisory Committee. This group of doctors, public health professionals, and leaders in multidisciplinary fields will be making decisions around combating the new variants and trying to end the pandemic. The existing data points to the message, get vaccinated and get boosted. Currently, there are over 89,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Boston. Racial disparities in vaccination and booster rates are a major concern to public health officials. Black residents account for only 13.4% of the boosters given, and Latinx residents account for only 9.4%. Mayor Wu's administration and the Boston Public Health Commission are making the reduction of these disparities a priority in their efforts to ending the pandemic. The commission will be chaired by the executive director of the Boston Public Health Commission, Dr. Bisola Ojikuto. Of great concern is the low vaccine uptake among 5 to 11-year-olds in Boston and the significant racial and ethnic disparities that we have noted. At the beginning of December, only one quarter of all children in Boston ages 5 through 11 received one dose of COVID-19 vaccine. While almost 60% of white non-Hispanic children have been vaccinated, only 35% of Asian, 10% of Latinx, and 7% of black children have received their first dose of vaccine. There are many factors that are driving these disparities, including parent and guardian concerns regarding safety, mistrust, and limited awareness about the vaccine and its, its need in this age group. That is why the city is making every effort to build awareness, access, and capacity. There are many parents who may have gotten the vaccine for themselves and are hesitating to get their children vaccinated. They are saying, I don't know what the long-term effect of the vaccine will be. And I would say to them, we don't know that for sure. We cannot know that, but we expect the long-term effects of vaccines in children to be minimal, aside from the protection against COVID. We know that the long-term effects of COVID in children can be devastating. So let's weigh those two risks and let's come down on the safe side. You trust people you know, you pr trust people you have relationship with, and so these people who are behind me are people who are leaders in their various communities, and it's just gonna take perseverance against something that is relentless. So if, 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 if the problem is relentless, then we have to be a relentless in our approach. And uh, it's the same solution that it was a year and a half, well, when the vaccines first uh, came out. We just can't give up uh, for our children and for our futures. We're very much in an urgent situation in Boston, and so everything has to be on the table. I think we see the actions of our partner sister cities reflecting just how much we all need to be taking action. Omicron, unfortunately, will not be the last variant that we see, and our responsibility in city government now is to look at the data, bring together the wisdom across all sectors in our community, and ensure that we are following the, the best available uh, recommendations from our community members in taking swift action. On December 8th, there was a ribbon cutting for the new Workforce Opportunity Resource Center in Roxbury. Work 2 is designed for supplying the local construction community with the resources and technical support to promote those entering the construction trade. Through education and information, 
the center will focus on an individual's and small company's ability to grow their skills and develop the tools they will need for success in the construction industry. It trains people in the trade to be more productive and prosperous in the workplace, which benefits both the employer and the worker. An emphasis of the center is to target this training and information to the community in which it is located, a community that for so long has been left out of having these opportunities. Here at Work2, we open the doors for opportunities for anyone who's interested in building a career in the building trades. So we host a series of workshops and trainings for the novice, if you will, and for the more experienced. Even in some instances, we assist minority and women-owned businesses in construction in helping them stay relevant in the trades in hopes that they can scale up and remain competitive in this industry. For those who are interested in building a career in construction, we offer a series of different trainings that they can participate in to include their OSHA certifications, which is the bare basic minimum requirement to enter into any of these lucrative opportunities, to even include project management seminars. In the Department of Correction and programs like this, there many of them are going through trades and a program like this has trades to offer them like OSHA classes and um, how to build your business in construction and, and this is uh, one of the many resources to help these men to give them the second chance that they need and deserve. Construction is an ever-revolving field so I think one of the things that's important really for folks is to keep their skills relevant and current and having an opportunity in a center like this to be able to work with folks who they can identify with as well as understand so sort of the industry is very important for folks in the community. There's a lot of building going on in the city of Boston currently and so one of the things that's important is that we engage the residents who live in these local areas to be part of that workforce and so the things that Work2 are doing with their workshops, their connection to employers, their, their ability to engage employees that are looking for workers is very important in these times. The importance of this is that we are indeed keeping people on equal playing field by making sure whether or not you are entry level, mid-level, or been into, your, into the construction career for a long time, you can have this opportunity to uh, refine your skills. So often we think about the challenges people have when it, when it comes to them coming out of incarceration or coming out of situations that are negative and then how do they enter a field that is really so profitable and creates so, so much opportunity. What this center is going to do is it's going to be really a workforce opportunity centered here in Roxbury to make sure we're targeting a, a, a place and a people who've been for so long left out of this industry. On December 11th, Roslindale neighbors came together to celebrate their efforts and subsequent victory in stopping the inappropriate development of the 10.5-acre Roslindale Wetlands Urban Wild. At the same time, on the front end of the parcel, four additional units of affordable housing will be built by Habitat for Humanity, giving more families the opportunity to own their own home. Preservation of this urban wild is important because it provides open, green space for people to come and get in touch with nature and recreate. The wild is also important as it absorbs stormwater and contributes to the climate resilience effort and is an integral part of the water system. By protecting, upgrading, and enlarging the wetlands, and by building these four new units of housing, the neighborhood knows that it is playing a role in combating climate change, ensuring the people in the neighborhood will be able to partake in all of the conservation lands in the wetlands, and creating more affordable housing in their neighborhood. The land is, is important, of course, because people need open space for 
for recreation and, and uh, rejuvenation. Uh, but, but also, this land uh, it absorbs storm water, and it's, it's an integral part of the, of the water system uh, of uh, uh, the Boston area. Um, in, in preserving this, uh, we're able to uh, contribute something to climate, to uh, resiliency, uh, climate, the, the whole climate resiliency efforts, as well as uh, uh, the water, stormwater management. Uh, and of course, for housing, uh, Rosendale, like many areas, is, is, is gentrifying. And uh, there's a strong value in this neighborhood that everybody uh, should be able to have housing. And even just to add four units of affordable housing is something that really resonated with a lot of the neighbors here. So the combination package is, is just a winner for everybody. Our neighborhood association was really concerned about the rising cost of housing. And many of us feel we can't afford to live here anymore. So creating affordable home ownership was a really strong priority for Lana. But also, we've been involved with Wetlands Task Force for nearly 20 years to create uh, and protect the wetlands. And the wetlands not only provides a natural area, but it's really important for climate resiliency. It provides needed stormwater management. Uh, the amount of rain that comes off the hill goes into the wetlands, so it's really important for keeping all the other houses safe in the neighborhood. It's a 10.1 acre area, urban wild, that has both uh, some you know, rare species that come through in habitat. It also provides play space um, you know, for people that have unstructured uh, you know, and enjoy open space. So those dual purposes of climate resiliency and equity have been really critical. For the last 20 years, we've been pushing back against some inappropriately large development proposals, and um, we're very happy with the solution that has a s small and very appropriate development of four units here on far enough away from the wetlands that we still have the, the natural area that um, serves the purpose of soaking up the rainwater and is also just an area for us to enjoy, to walk along the trail, to appreciate the wildlife and the bird life and a little bit of a natural um, home away from home or a little, little sanctuary for us in the neighborhood. What we are able to do here is we're not only preserving an incredible urban wild, we're preserving some really valued wetlands right in our neighborhood, but we're also working in, with a great non-partner in Habitat for Humanity and building some affordable housing for new neighbors. This is really the rarity uh, in development where we're going to protect open space, we're acquiring land for resiliency purposes, but we're also going to make sure that we work with a really great vendor to build more affordable housing, more pathways to home ownership. We're going to have more neighbors in, in Rosendale. This is a great day for the city and I'm so delighted to be here. On December 13th, Mayor Wu and city officials met at the Boston Public Works Yard to discuss this year's winter preparations for the city of Boston. The Public Works Department has over 47 tons of salt for the city streets. There are an additional 164 pieces of in-house snow clearing equipment, and BPW is able to place over 800 additional pieces on the roads in the event of a larger storm. 
The mayor is placing an emphasis on vulnerable populations for the winter ahead, the elderly and those experiencing homelessness. And the Boston Public Health Commission will be using a citywide network of emergency shelters to assist those in need. Mayor Wu is asking that anyone seeing an individual out in the cold who appears to be disoriented, underdressed, or immobile to call 911. A snow emergency is declared. Please be sure to move your vehicle if necessary when that parking ban takes effect. So a couple reminders for, for residents. The sidewalk in front of private property is the responsibility of the property owner to shovel and de-ice. We ask that anyone who's able to help shovel out fire hydrants and storm drains on your street, please help out your older neighbors or those with disabilities. And there are many city councilors and other elected officials and I who've been brainstorming ways to ensure that we can help make those connections and ensure that anybody who needs assistance with snow clearance can be supported. Please check in on those on your street or in your family and your networks who may be housebound. And this is really a time, um, again, speaking ahead to when the snow hits, this is a time when we can truly work together and show what it means to be a city of neighbors. We've been very, working very, very hard putting together a plan to make sure our homeless are safe this winter. The Boston Public Health Commission, St. Francis House, the Boston Rescue Mission, Pine Street, Bridge Over Troubled Waters, and the New England Center for Homeless Veterans have over 1,000 beds of emergency shelter. This number includes beds for women, men, and young adults. On cold and stormy nights, the shelters are talking. They're very well coordinated to make sure that everyone who shows up at a front door has an accommodation. Also, city agencies, along with our nonprofit partners, have been working really hard to house as many homeless individuals and families as we can before the winter months. These, are, these efforts are the right thing to do, of course, but they also relieve pressure in our shelters. As importantly, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts has been bringing on sites for this winter outside of Boston, uh, in, in uh, Greater Boston, Worcester, and several communities in the western part of the state. This keeps individuals in close to their communities of origin, and it also relieves the shelters here in Boston. Neighbors, please be good to each other. Look out for each other, especially our elderly and our disabled. Do it in a safe way and adhere to the COVID-19 regulations. If you are concerned about a neighbor, again, please use 311. Share information as much as you can. Not everyone's on social media. Remember to shovel out fire hydrants, catch basins, and the ramps at crosswalks to assist in emergency vehicles and first responders. Please do not shovel snow in the street. And our beloved space savers, you can only use space savers when the city declares a snow emergency. You have 48 hours to use a space saver after the emergency ends. After that, you have to remove them. Space savers are banned in the South End. Most likely if you leave your space saver there after the 48 hours, it will be likely be removed from public works. On December 14th and 15th, the Salvation Army hosted its annual Christmas Castle toy distribution to help more than 1,500 local families in need during this holiday season. Held at the Salvation Army Croc Center, 
The gift of these toys will make it a warmer and more fulfilling Christmas time for Boston area individuals and families who have fallen upon difficult times. This year, due to the pandemic, the volunteers delivered most of the bags of chosen toys directly to the cars that pulled up in line to receive them. During this event, in addition to receiving these toys, many recipients were able to speak with a Salvation Army pastor or social worker for support. This year, the Salvation Army estimates that it will need $175 million to help keep families in their homes, almost 50% more than raised through red kettles in 2020. It's not easy to come in and, and be vulnerable to, to people saying that you're in need and please help me. And, and most of the time you have to humble yourself and know that you need it. And, and don't, don't think about people looking at you or judging you because you need it. And the kids will definitely enjoy all the presents. Um, so I'm thankful again to be able to receive because it's, 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 it's humbleness to, to know that you need and to receive the gifts of others. And I want to say thank you for all the people that donated to us. It's organizations like Salvation Army that are out in the community that is able to provide these things for families. And it allows families to be able to provide for their children. So I ask everybody today, if you're out there, if you see a bell ringer, please add to the pot and please give so that people can have food on their tables, toys for the holidays, and any necessities that they may need. Coming to a place like the Christmas Castle is not necessarily the easiest thing. There have been people who have come inside us that five years ago were donors, and now they're in a point where they need to be they're asking for assistance. And we meet them at that intersection of humility and respect. We want to make sure that everyone walks away feeling good about themselves and that they feel that there is someone there listening to them and wants to be there for them with no judgment. The Salvation Army has the blessed opportunity to be a bridge between those who currently have an abundance and those who are currently in need. And so many of us are just one paycheck away between that difference. And so for those who are able to provide the contributions and the donations of toys to help others, we're very grateful. And we're certainly grateful for those who recognize the need to come in and, and be blessed by the, the generosity of others.